is the secret art of business? The creative side of our brain and the business side of our brain may seem like two separate entities, but they are actually interconnected and complementary. The creative side of our brain can bring fresh and innovative ideas to the table, while the business side of our brain can turn these ideas into practical and profitable solutions. In this podcast, we will talk to people who are connecting the power of both the creative and the business sides of their brain and how it led to greater success and satisfaction in all areas of their lives. Today, I have Jim Stevens joining me, and I'm super excited because he is, I was looking at his his LinkedIn post and he, or his page, and um, we are very similar in that we both got degrees in very artsy things, him in journalism and me in fine arts, and then we ended up getting jobs into things that actually can generate more money. Um, not that you can in journalism, but it is a little harder, or in fine arts. But um, yeah, you have a fantastic career, just generally in marketing. And then you ended up now in something that is called um, International Center for Creativity. So Jim, tell us a little more about that. First off, thanks for having me. This, this is an honor. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, get to chat with you and to get to talk about our favorite subject, which is uh, creativity. So th- mm-hmm. thanks for having me on board. You know, well, I'm, I'm just yeah, welcome. So, so what is it that you're up to now? What what is this international world that you're involved in now? <laughs> so the Center for Creativity is uh, part educational uh, entity and part a working studio. So we started off. Um, uh, my business partner and I had sold uh, a company. We had a marketing firm that we sold. And, you know, you have those grand plans of, oh, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to write a book. And my wife's like, well, or you could get a job. And uh, all the, the partners and the entrepreneurs, we sat around and said, you know, well, let's have some crazy Fridays and pitch each other ideas on on fun things we could do. Because I'm a big believer in first who and then what. And so in the beginning, we we had some chemistry between individuals and we started talking about all the different things that maybe we could go into as entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and we, you know, heaven help us that we'd have to go out and find jobs. So at, at one point we kept bringing each other ideas and they, we had some absolutely horrible ideas. And that <laughs> part of it was that we would pick each other apart and go, that's, you know, that's not going to work. This isn't going to work. But then uh, we, we kind of stumbled on something our clients kept telling us, which they weren't really satisfied with the creative problem-solving abilities of kids coming out of design school. They said they were running to CAD and they were just running to production environments instead of being able to get down in the mud and fall in love with a problem and be curious enough to pick it apart. And we couldn't figure out why. We're like, yeah, but that's the point of design school. But what we found out is because there was such a huge migration at the time, we're talking about the early 2000s, that at the time everybody was running to uh, CAD and they were running to desktop publishing. And I had heard a speaker say that desktop publishing had just opened up bad taste to the masses. (laughs) with me, right? And I, I thought about it for a little while and I said, well, that's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering what they're missing. And then what we found out was artists weren't going into design because their perception of design was that they were going to sit in front of cat all day. And we're like, well, this is a travesty. You know, design has to have artists. So uh, we, we just kept getting hammered by our, our, our consulting clients that we were doing industrial design work for brand launches mm-hmm. and, and things. And they kept telling us, you know, you guys are really good at training and you're really good at explaining things. And, 
you know, you're kind of this old school apprenticeship approach of learn by doing, you know, you guys should start a design school. And we're like, <laughs> you know, we started laughing. At <laughs> what, do we know, what do we know about that? Right. We're not academics at our heart, but we're, we love teaching. And then we thought, well, hang on, there's a disconnect here. Uh, so we started doing some investigation into it. And there was this providential opportunity, which I believe in. I believe in serendipity and providence and all those things that, like, our phones distract us from these days. Those, mm-hmm. those Some people might call them chance meetings. Call it what you like. Uh, we had an opportunity to talk to a, a professor at Cedarville University. And I was, at, I was poking him, going, hey, Dan, uh, what's going on over in the cornfield? Because it's a small Christian college over <laughs> in Cedarville. And, and by the way, they are a fantastic school. Wonderful school. Wonderful school. Some, yeah, some and of the best designers come out of there. Oh, incredible. Wonderful graphic design program, studio art program, and industrial design uh, now. And, and he started using words like we're looking for you know, new opportunities for creative majors. And I'm like, well, you need industrial design. Our clients have told us this is an opportunity. And he's like, well, is that something you guys are pursuing? And we were like, I guess we are. Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about this. But here's all of the parameters on how it would have to happen. We want to build it from scratch. It's got to be industry driven. It has to be hands on and experiential. It has to be market relevant. There has to be analog skills and you know all of this stuff. And they were like, Yeah, we can make this happen. And uh, you know, long story long, uh, we ended up going through this entire curriculum process and we accepted in our first junior class because what we do is we teach the last two years of a four-year fully accredited degree. I love that. So they get their gen eds, their their design and art and studio prerequisites done on main campus, and then they're immersed in industrial design when they come to the International Center for Creativity. And you get real opportunities too. 100%. We're like the, the teaching hospital to a nursing degree. This is where you come <laughs> to get your practice. I like that. <laughs> and we want to bring our clients into the classroom as guest lecturers and not just jurying work at the end, right? That's so easy. They come in and tell you everything you should have done differently. Well, how about you create the brief and then come in during milestone checks and tell them, hey, look, we'll worry about the academic measures. Why don't you tell them that this is professional grade or not? Would this cut it in industry? Are you tracking right, right. towards a horrible skill? Uh, and so lo and behold, we accepted our first uh, juniors into the program in 2010. So we just had our 11th graduating class. We've had 209 graduates oh, from the International Center for Creativity, and they are scattered all over the world. Uh, they're working at companies like Ford Motor Company and the Innovative Vehicle Design so cool. Uh, working at New Balance, at Bose, Logitech, um, at Hunter Fans, at Petco and Target, all of these companies doing product design, uh, architectural space design, and transportation design. So we're so humbled that, that we were just the receptacle for this idea, that mm-hmm, it, was, mm-hmm. it was one of the things that needed to happen and that our eyes and ears were open enough to, to receive it and then to steward it. And we feel like caretakers of the program. And, you know, yeah, we're driving and we're pushing, but at the end we're caretaking. And Okay, Jim, I'm going to stop you for a second people, because I, I want, because you have said a lot that I want people to really kind of understand. 
And one is that, um, one, you're super humble, which um, creative people usually are, because it's a little bit of a heart on our sleeve when we create something. And I mean, you have created this school, and it's, it sounds like it's really awesome. And while you just say, you know, we're just kind of taking care of it. No, you invented it. So I'm going to give you total props for that. And just think of all the people that you've helped. And that's what kind of comes out of um, creative people reinventing themselves, too. Because like I said, we kind of get handed, and I'll use myself even as an example, a, you know, I got a fine arts degree. It was technically all I could really kind of afford. And then I had to kind of make opportunities and make opportunities and make opportunities, or at least be aware of some of them. And this one kind of came up and like a, a great creative person, left, right brain person, you've had a problem, you figured it out, and you made something awesome of it. And I, I that's the thing that I'm kind of seeing over and over with a lot of the guests on this podcast is that it's about that reinvention. It's about opportunities and, about, and it's about building them. Um, so you didn't get here magically. I'm going to ask you now, when you were a kid, this is always my question. Um, what did you do to stay creative or what did you do for fun or what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh man, this, I had, I had a great childhood. I'm so thankful. Uh, <laughs> I had parents that gave me a lot of latitude. Uh, I want to, I'd love to thank my uncle Joe. My uncle Joe worked Aww. at West Vaco paper and uncle Joe used to send us packs of of paper, blank paper, reams of it. And yeah. he got it from work. If they were overruns or if it was stuff that yeah, you know, yeah. didn't pass quality control. Or whatever. And we called it Uncle Joe paper. But we sat <laughs> and drew, drew, and drew. Yes. And I have to tell oh you, God, that's the best if gift. there was a blank sheet in the church bulletin, I knew I was going to make it through the service. Because as a kid, you come in and you're like, oh, wow, this is big church. It's not like church mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm. Kids are and it's fun and it's a party for us. It was like, you know, sit down, you're going to sit through the whole sermon, but I got to draw, right? And I was always mm-hmm, sketching, I was mm-hmm. always drawing. Older brothers love to draw, but like our favorite thing to do was to mash up all our toys, meaning like we would take the big refrigerator box and we would take the, the tin for the, for the potato chips. And we'd start building these Rube Goldberg machines in our basement, you know, with all of these shoots and, and mm-hmm, you could mm-hmm. run a golf ball. I would cut up the paper towel tube and make my own Star Wars ship, right? I, I created my own stuff out of cardboard. And then I would use my my Hot Wheels track and my girder panel building set and my Lego. I never built like what was supposed to be built out of the kit. We always just freestyled it. And the greatest joy was building this huge thing and my parents letting us trash the family room in the basement. <laughs> and then getting done with it and, and then tearing it apart and doing it all over again. Um, and then I would say I was really influenced by music. Um, as much as I like to draw and build stuff, I loved music. I was always curious on what was I hearing? Like inside of this wall of sound that was coming at me, what were the instruments what, what sound did they contribute? And I was fascinated. And, and you know, this is a, I'm really dating myself when I talk about, you know, we had a you know, big stack of 33s on a, on a turntable. You remember you put all of side A on a stack and it would yep. play all the way through them. And then you yep. put the whole then stack and turned it over <laughs> and listened to all the But I grew up in a house that listened to a lot of Americana music. You know, we listened to John Denver and, and the Carpenters and we listened to Skeeter Davis and Marty Robbins and, Perry Como and James Taylor and we lived at Simon and Garfunkel. We were listening to singer songwriters playing acoustic music. 
Mm-hmm. But there was one record that kind of shook my world as a kid, and it's not something you would think a kid would respond to. But in the mid-70s, I had a second cousin who was a lot older than us bring a, an album to us. It was a double album by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and it oh, was wow. called Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Mm-hmm. And Will the Circle Be Unbroken was this organic live studio capturing of all of these bluegrass artists, uh, Vassar Clements and Doc Watson and the Carter family. It was really, if you're a fan of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, it's that kind of soundtrack when it happened in the 70s. And that music blew my mind. As much as I like rock music, and as much as everything mm-hmm, growing mm-hmm. up likes pop music, there was something really visceral about that music. And it was visual to me. Um, it painted landscapes. And so music influenced me as yeah. a kid. And, and I did that. For, I learned how to play guitar. I started when I was, there was always one laying around. And I started in guitar club when I was 12. And I still sing and play guitar now because okay. it's just a wonderful other part of your brain. You know, that's, that, that's going to be a follow up question. But the one thing I want to mention, too, that, you know, since you did bring up music and, you know, I yeah. tend to kind of gravitate towards that same way. I like all types of music. But my favorites are usually the ones that are storytelling um, yes. and all the all the um, bands that you named, um, they all they all were great at telling stories. And even sometimes when people say, oh, do you like country music, too? It's like, you know what? I like country music. that tells a story. You know, if I, I the, you know, the, it's got a nice beat and, you know, I can there's like a beginning, almost like a beginning and an end. Or there's like some sort of emotion in there of the story that somebody's talking about you. I mean, I'm hooked. And I think that that is, you know, where um Again, that creativity just starts plugging in and you're like, okay, I'm hearing it because I will listen to like podcasts that tell stories like or like, you know, StoryCorps and um, This American Life and things like that. And I mean, hours of it on 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 road trips and things like that, because it is that art of the story. And I'm sure a little bit of your journalism heart kind of gravitates to that, too, because it's like there's nothing better then when someone has not only written something really good, but it has affected my emotion in some way too. And um, theater of the mind, you know, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I, that help that helps people like you and I, <laughs> you know, stay creative and be stimulated. And then suddenly it may be an idea. Might, we might see a, uh, you know, I might start painting a picture because of something that I had heard in a song or, right. you know, right. you might start writing something based on that or, you know, that would help you with some of these students. So yeah, I am not going to discount like songwriting and music and writing is all just so important. But you did talk about you play guitar. So you have created this amazing campus, you know, for creative people and, you know, are helping so many people. Um, But there, there is a lot still of, you know, business that needs to be done. Absolutely. So how do you stay creative while doing that? Well, I, I neglected to say earlier that, you know, this is a partnership. And when we started it, um, there were three of us involved. That Our third founding partner retired uh, back in 2017. But my co-founder here, Tom Ballier, uh, is he's an industrial designer by uh, education and by practice. And he is, the, he is kind of this operations mind. And mm-hmm, he's, he's mm-hmm. such a creative thinker because... Like, even when it comes to business ops, he doesn't just take the off-the-shelf solution. It becomes a, yeah, but what's our, what's our version of it? And it's been really good for, for us to have. He, he's 
I've, I've heard it said once that every company needs a German with a clipboard. Now, Tom does have some German in his background, uh, but he is one of the most creative operational people that I've ever met. So he loves doing the numbers and he likes coming in and analyzing things differently than other people. Yeah, we need we need one of those people for sure. Yeah, we absolutely do. And we complement each other in the sense that he's a super creative guy. Um, and has a lot of different skill sets than I do. Uh, and he's, it's really interesting. He's really into healthcare. He's a, he's a licensed paramedic. He still practices. He rides on an ambulance occasionally. He works at, you might see in the nationwide arena helping you if you fall and hurt your ankle or something. Uh, but at the same time, he's in here helping students with design thinking and how to organize their projects and time management. And uh, the, des- the design thinking process is like his love language. So we're we're really this fun kind of yin and yang that you know, yep. I always say I love Tom like a brother, but I actually get along with him better than I do my brother sometimes. <laughs> Maybe better. You know, uh, yeah, well, it's just it's family, right? But yeah, and, and you're brothers. not the first person to have like this this partner that kind of helps you. Do, and I look at it as you know we're we get to be just smart enough to delegate. We know enough to be dangerous, but we're also smart enough to know how to delegate when it's not really our strength or favorite thing to do. It's a great I mean. Point. I noticed once, I heard an interview of all people, Bob Vila, who was kind of the father of the DIY movement. Right, right. And being the founder of this old house out of Boston Public Television. And I heard Bob Vila talking. They're like, Bob, we don't see you picking up a hammer or running tools. And he goes, why would I do that? I have Norm Abrams sitting here. I know my limitations. And right. he said, I'm the voice of the viewer. I'm the person that's asking the question. They can't because they're not yeah, here. And I have and no that doubt that Bob could have done it. <laughs> Bob could have, uh, could have definitely done and the work, but he knew somebody and, and had somebody there who could do it so much better. <laughs> and he knew his limitations. And I think I was asked once uh, a couple of years ago about this. Um, if you remember when the whole uh, the Grit book came out, that wonderful book by Angela Duckworth. It's so good. It's called Grit, you know, about really hard work. And then I had an epiphany watching Chris, uh, Christmas Vacation, of all things, um, when, you know, Clark works so hard in trying to make the house work, the lights work, and, yes, they yes. Don't, you know, they don't work when he plugs them in. And the daughter mm-hmm. defends him saying, come on, you know, daddy worked really hard. And one of the old snarky in-laws says, so does a washing machine. And it hit me that <laughs> hard work is really the key to entrepreneurship. It's actually self-awareness. I think you have yeah. to have a high degree of self-awareness of saying, hey, you know what? I, I do have something to contribute in these areas, but I need strength in these other areas. And I'm not going to think that I'm, I have the omnibus skill set. <laughs> and I think self-awareness is a big chunk of, of, of business that you have to be realistic. You know, isn't it painful, you know, when you watch – uh, you know, America's Got Talent or American Idol or whatever, and they put it on for shock value. You know, some person that maybe shouldn't be there. <laughs> you know, their friends kept telling them, like, maybe to make everybody else look good. Who knows? <laughs> right. But for me, it became a self awareness enough to have those really good friends and say, hey, you know what? You're, I don't, I'm not sure you're that good. You're really good at karaoke night, but <laughs> I don't know. You're that person that tells you you have something in your teeth. And, and that that's so valuable. 
and business mm-hmm, entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. Maybe limitations, and then not use it as an excuse uh, to to get better in that area, but also realize that maybe I need help in that area. So business drags you down in in so many ways because you get things thrown at you that you're not planning for, and it's oh, you absolutely have to be like rocky. Absolutely. You, know, you have to be able to take a punch. And, uh, Absolutely. Still well, and, I, and I think, though, too, um, that's kind of, again, where, you know, people that are really exercising, you know, both sides of the brain are going to come out ahead because it is that problem solving, but it is also, you know, thinking out of the box. You know, people use the term all the time, a lot of things all the time. And what they're really just saying, you know, is, is you have to, you know, activate the whole thing in order right. to get, you know, it, it's, you know, it's got to be fit. And just by, you know, testing, you know, high school kids on an ACT test doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be successful or not because you've only tested one side of their head, you know. And that's why, you know, it's great to not only know people like you that have, you know, done something with that challenge, if you will. And you're now kind of reaching back and you're helping other kids make that connection, too, and how um, they can be creative and make this into something that, is of value because I not yeah. I'm not 100 sold that people take you know creative people seriously when it comes to their value because you think of people that are like dancers and actors even um, you know they always have to have a side hustle in order to you know have a, a, a living wage yeah um, and there's a long time that a lot of creative people didn't get enough credit where everybody just wanted a logo design for fifty dollars. And, you know, it's like, well, you love doing it. So why don't why don't you just do it for fifty dollars? Like, you know, because this is my job. Um, So there's always a little bit of that struggle. Um, What do you want people to know most about um, what you do now? You know, um, what is what is next for the International Center for Creativity or what is one thing? that And I'm going to put all your information in the podcast and all the links so they can contact um, you or find out more about this, but you know, what is the the one thing that you would like people to know about this or two things? It doesn't be one. Really thing. Are, <laughs> sure. sure. You know, we, we feel like our mission is to inspire creative confidence and that everybody has it. It's not an elitist thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Creativity is just a, it's a discipline and it's listening to the right voices and noticing things that other people miss. That's really what creativity is, is connecting dots that other people miss. So for our undergrad degree, if people out there know young people that are kind of outliers, right? They're the, we sometimes we look at ourselves as the island of misfit toys. These are kids that are just not served by traditional school and testing, but they might be good with other things. They're good with their hands. Yes. They like to be involved in more than one thing. They like photography and sports and music and architecture. Well, there's a degree for them and it's industrial design. Because mm-hmm. the more you know about the world around you, the better designer you can become because you can identify problems worth solving. So if you know a young person that's looking for careers in creativity, even if they don't end up at our school, we want them to know that there are careers in creativity. There are ways to use imagination as a career because you know, just as a side note, once again, LinkedIn has listed creative problem solving as the number one soft skill. Every year, hard skills come and go. One year mm-hmm. it's cybersecurity, and then it's coding, and then it's whatever it may be. Um, but creative problem solving is in every industry. Uh, we get to work Absolutely. with all things. The pharmacy school at Cedarville, they have a wonderful pharmacy school. They're nationally ranked. It's a relatively new program. 
Well, you know they have an innovation department that we've partnered with to teach design thinking principles to some of the most concrete, sequential thinkers you'll ever meet, right, that go into this business. But think about what happened to pharmacies during COVID, right? They had to totally get transformed, and they've never been the same, and nor will they be the same. Every industry needs creative problem solving. So, A, if you need, if you know a young person that's looking for careers in creativity, we would love to, to help, even if it's not industrial design. Just I love to get that. that point. Uh, then we also well, you know what, too? We went on a little bit of a tangent. You never, you didn't say what you do now to stay creative. Right. Well, that's, you know, I've got the same uh, issue that, I, that a lot of creative people do. I have this long list of things that I love to do. I'm also really into cars. So um, I've wanted to... Uh, to do a to start a podcast about classic cars. So uh, I think I'm, and, and it really may end up not even being about classic cars, but more just about the people who love them. Uh, so that's something that I'd love to get involved in. Uh, I love to uh, play music and and to to record and uh, to inspire my own kids to pursue music. And I've I've been you know toying with doing a little bit more writing. Um, I know a publisher here in town uh, that is such a creative person and he's helped so many people write books. I've just never wanted to be the guy that's like, here I am, buy my book. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm that guy. But we've we've had a bunch of people say, have you thought about putting down uh, some of your thoughts about things that kill creativity and how can you solve that? And uh, that's a creative project that we've, we've got simmering on a back burner as well. As I had heard that if you just start writing a bunch of blogs, it eventually turns into a book. So maybe that's where you start. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that you brought up classic cars because I also like classic cars. I don't know what if I would ever own one, but I just think they're really pretty to look at. So it, maybe it's still just a visual thing for people like us too. It's just, you know, because people just thought differently about how they designed a car versus I, I look at, um, I, I, I look for a car I first I gotta look for what are the lines on the car do I like the lines on the car and right. then I start looking at the research as far as if it's an actually actually a good car <laughs> well there's that right um, <laughs> there's, there's collecting cars and then there's wanting to actually drive them and they're two different things <laughs> so one just requires storage and a drip pan under it oh my Another gosh yeah. actually uh, requires the care and feeding of a toddler uh you yeah, know you have to just hobby for sure <laughs> yeah, so, all right well, well you know, awesome also, Jim. I agree. Agree. yeah oh, so i'm, I'm, I'm gonna wrap it up and listen to something else <laughs> oh sure yeah no, i was just gonna add that we have two master's programs one's a concentration oh, in innovation and entrepreneurship inside of cedarville's mba program and we have a standalone master's of innovation as well they're all 100 online and it helps you tap into just new ways of thinking and then we're also launching uh micro credentials uh in like design thinking and creative problem solving for people that want to kind of add that to their toolkit so those are some I, projects that, that is so that great recently launched that is so great. And I love that you have that accessible to people because, you know, if they, especially since it's online and stuff too, they don't have to, you know, leave their house. They can still, you know, learn this and Absolutely. better themselves and then seek more opportunities based on what you've taught them. But thank Absolutely. you again, Jim. I'm going to have all your information in the links 
And if people want to know more about what he's all up to, I mean, definitely, you know, follow him on LinkedIn or, you know, uh, start uh, checking in to the um, the International Center for Creativity. I think it is an amazing program. And like I said, don't be so humble. You should be very proud of yourself. I think this is a really, really awesome thing that you've created and it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you for joining me and thank you for doing that. Catherine, thanks so much. This has been a blast. Look forward to seeing you soon. (laughs) Same. Thank you for joining the conversation today. If you are more of a visual person, all of these podcasts are available on YouTube on the Secret Art of Business podcast. If you or someone you know is successful in running a business and utilizing their creativity to superpower it, I would love to hear more. Maybe there is someone you know that is successful and you want to hear their story. Drop me a note in the comments. And if it's a fit, we'll try and connect.